0: Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 16. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband com- commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be
1: be to God. God. Mm. Let us pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would send your spirit to tend to your word, that it might reach our hearts. Uh, Lord, we gather as people who are in so many ways uh, confused, uh, ashamed, maybe bored, uh, hurting, experiencing loss, uh, wondering, what you have for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would speak words of life and truth and grace and mercy and peace and that it would change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the things uh, I'm fascinated by is uh, language interpreters. People who have proficiency with multiple languages and they can translate something from one language into another. Uh, but as I poked around a little bit on the Internet, uh, I learned that there's been some pretty bad examples of this uh, in some really funny ways. And one example I came across was in 1976, Jimmy Carter was speaking to a Polish-speaking audience. And uh, he began his, his speech by saying, when I left the United States this morning, and the interpreter translated it in such a way that it communicated, when I abandoned the United States this morning. And so there were chuckles. Uh, But that's just getting warmed up. As Carter went on in his speech, uh, he said, I have studied your opinions very carefully. And the translator mistakenly communicated that in Polish as, I desire the Poles carnally. (laughs) I I think that was his last day on the job. And the thing is, this kind of stuff happens again and again and again. Years ago, Schweppes, you know, the maker of the tonic water, uh, they did a campaign in Italy. And uh, the way they had translated Schweppes tonic water uh, in Italian said Schweppes toilet water. Okay. And uh, so the marketing campaign was a little bit of a failure. The American Dairy Association. Remember the Got Milk campaign? Well, the way that was translated and heard in Hispanic communities was, Are you lactating? Okay. Here's here's a good one. Pepsi, uh, when they were marketing their "Come Alive with Pepsi" uh, campaign, when that was translated into Chinese, unfortunately, it came across as Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the dead. Okay. (laughs) But maybe my favorite is Coors. Coors had this hip and trendy uh, ad campaign. Say, "Turn it loose, turn it loose with with Coors." And uh, when that was translated for the people of Spain, it was suffer from diarrhea. course. <laughs> OK, I kid you not. These are all real. Now, why am I why am I introducing the sermon this morning this way? Well, our story this morning has suffered at the hands of many interpreters. And I hope and pray that it doesn't suffer in mine. But interpretation can be a tricky thing. Some people read this story of the rich man and Lazarus like it gives a detailed map of the afterlife. But one thing we should know is that Jesus is using Jewish folk tales, which were common in the day, to tell a story that's meant to impact us in this life. So we can't read it like it's a detailed map of the afterlife, but it is meant to impact us in this life. Others read it like it's just a little lesson that says, hey, life is unfair, but don't worry. God will even up things in the next life. If you're rich, you're on the highway to hell. If you're homeless, heaven awaits. But I think it misses much of the brilliance and the challenge of what Jesus is doing in this story. There's a key that I believe unlocks this passage for us. And that key is the theme of the law of Moses and the prophets. It shows up in verse 16. You can see it there printed for you. It also shows up in the story itself at the end. And the question is, who is interpreting the law and the prophets rightly? The Pharisees or Jesus? If you're new to the Christian faith, the law and the prophets simply it refers to what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And who is interpreting the law and prophets rightly? Jesus has been locking horns with the Pharisees for quite some time. We've been paying attention to these stories that he's telling before them. It goes all the way back to chapter 15, verse 1, and really it's throughout the, the whole Gospel of Luke. But if you remember, in chapter 15, verse 1, the Pharisees are grumbling and complaining that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus says, let me tell you a few stories. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees were always interpreting the law and the prophets in a way that the outcome was this. We're the good guys. We're the good guys. And Jesus says, I have some things that I need to say to you. Now, look, friends, whenever our takeaway from an encounter with scripture is when it's always we're one of the good guys. We can be sure that we're probably reading scripture wrongly. Jesus says, I want to tell you some stories. Let's let's talk about forgiveness. And he tells the story of the lost coin. He tells the story of the lost sheep. And then he tells the story of the lost son. But there's an additional character, the older brother. And we looked at that last week. And how they respond to this extravagant forgiveness that Jesus is bringing into the world. And then Kevin preached on uh, the parable of the dishonest steward. Jesus is saying, I want to talk to you a little bit about money and stuff. And the punchline of it in verse 13 was you can't serve God in money. And our passage picks up right there in verse 14 where it says the Pharisees... Surprise, surprise, who were lovers of money turned their noses up at Jesus. That's what it literally says. And Jesus has some harsh words for them. You justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Friends, this, this whole passage here is meant to get at our hearts. And he's, he's talking about money. He's talking about our stuff, but it's a window into our hearts, when our hearts are crooked, we don't hear scripture well. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in verses 16 and 17. This debate he's been having on who's interpreting the law and the prophets rightly. He says, look, the law and the prophets, right? They're still in force, but they're meant to lead you somewhere to the kingdom of God that is here in me. But don't think that one dot or, or, or tittle of it is, is, is passing away. It's being brought to fulfillment. Fulfillment. The law and the prophets talk about a new day, but they can't bring it about. And then, and when he goes to verse 18, you're like, well, this is like weird. He starts talking about divorce. Well, in, the, in, the, in, in that day, there was, in the air, a divorce on demand kind of mojo, which effectively resulted in serial polygamy. And what Jesus is saying is, you're using Scripture to justify your wicked ways. He's getting after their hearts. And then he tells this story of the rich man and Lazarus. Again, the aim is the heart. This parable is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And it's the only parable in all of the parables that Jesus tells in which someone is given a name, Lazarus. And that's going to be important. It's a very Jewish story. We've got Abraham. We've got the law and the prophets, right? Uh, But it's a story that we need to hear well. And what I want to do is I just kind of want to unpack this uh, for us this morning and see if maybe we can hear well this story that Jesus is telling. And the first thing that I want to note is this. Jesus tells us that there will be great reversals. When the kingdom fully comes, there's going to be great reversals. You know, this has been a theme in the Gospel of Luke. There's reversals happening all the time. And it began in Mary singing the Magnificat, right? Where she says, God's going to topple the proud, right? He's going to raise up the humble. It's a reversal. But what Jesus is drawing our attention to, and and, and surprisingly, this is very rare in Jesus' stories, is a reversal taking place, not in this life, but in the next. He contrasts the rich man with Lazarus. So the description is, of a man, who is very very wealthy. This is what his obituary reads. Right? He's a rich man. He's clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. That's that's it. That's all. That's all we know of this of this person in this story. And by the way, uh, the the language that's used here is, is pretty fascinating. There's a scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey, who's uh, a Middle Eastern specialist, and uh, he notes that. The, the language used here is language that describes not only like beautiful, exotic exterior garb, but fancy underwear, right? This guy's dressed to the nines, right? Outside and inside or underneath. And he's feasting sumptuously, sumptuously every day. Now, one thing you need to know is that for many people living in the first century world and even amongst the Jews... Wealth was a sign of God's favor. That's how they regarded it. The wealthy are the ones whom God is delighted in and is pleased with. And of course, the opposite was also the case. That the poor are those who are cursed by God. And so we get a description of a very poor man. But strangely, he's given a name. A poor man named Lazarus who was laid at the rich man's gate every day. He's covered with sores, right? pussy, oozing stuff. And he's longing to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. But he gets nothing. And then every day, the dogs, which, by the way, don't think of like pets in our day. They were like home security systems in the ancient world. They're like these mangy animals. And here they come, and they're licking his sores. And we're told the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried and was in Hades in torment. What is happening here? Jesus is saying there's going to be a reversal. If not in this life, in the next. And that's where the reading of the story of, uh, of, hey, don't worry. God's going to sort it all out in the end is, is, is kind of right. right? There, is, there is a God... Who promises to reverse injustice and evil. There is a God who puts wrong things right. There is a God who mends what is broken. And I don't know about you, but at, at first blush, this is actually a comfort. Because you know what that means? That means Kabul is going to experience a reversal. If not in this life, in the next That means all the sadness, the sorrow, the horror, the injustice, it's going to be fixed. But there's also a sobering part to this, not just a comforting. And that is that human beings have destinies. That every person who's ever existed goes on existing. That there is a day after your last day here. But Jesus is telling this story, not just to say, all right, you know, it'll all be sorted out in the end but to call for a certain reversal now. And that reversal is called repentance. This has been a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke, and it shows up again and again, even going back to the first story that Jesus tells in this setting. The prodigal son who wastes his father's possession, but then comes to his senses, repents imperfectly, but receives the the embrace of his father. And there's a feast and a celebration in his honor. The reversal that Jesus is calling for is a reversal of repentance. And repentance isn't just a change of behavior. It is turning to the Lord. Crying out for his mercy. And then learning to live your life in light of the help that he brings. Now, here's the second point I want to reflect on. Repentance is the only cure for calcified hearts. See, what, what we're dealing with in, in this depiction of the rich man, the, the problem is not that he was rich, okay? And, and listen carefully to this. Even the story, Abraham was very, very wealthy, okay? The problem is not riches alone. The problem was that his wealth had become his everything. It's all that shows up in his obituary. It's what he seems consumed with, and it made him blind to himself, but it also made him blind to Lazarus. Here he is feasting every day while this sore infested, right? Impoverished, starving man lies at his gate. You think of maybe him stepping over his body to get inside or stepping over it to get outside and go into the marketplace. The problem is that wealth had calcified his heart, it had become hard. And you know what hardness feels like? It doesn't feel like hatred. It feels like indifference. You don't care. You don't see what's right in front of you. And here's the thing. Anything that you make your everything other than God will do that to you. And we could marshal a million witnesses to that. That when you make something your everything, it begins to consume you. And you become blind to yourself. And you become blind to others. But this is where the story really heats up. Even in the next life in this story, the rich man doesn't repent. Okay? He, how do we know that? Well, look at what happens. There's a way you can read this and you're like, oh, he feels really bad now and he just wants to be better. And, you know, Abraham's saying, no, you know. But look, look at the details of the story. He sees Lazarus. But he still sees him as his errand boy. As beneath him. And he says, hey, come, come. Come down here and and, and perform a little service for me. There's no recognition of his ignoring Lazarus and his impoverished state as he laid at his gate day after day after day. There's still this class consciousness, this social stratification that is deep in his heart and it has hardened it. And as Kenneth Bailey says, and I think this is so beautiful, I put the quote at the beginning of the bulletin. He sees Lazarus with his eyes, but never with his heart. There is no turning to the Lord. There's no softness inside, even in the day after. Now look at Lazarus for a second, okay? Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, which was one of the ways they talked about uh, the the embrace of of God's covenant love in the day after. What did Lazarus do to get there? We're not told anything. It didn't say, and then look at all the things that Lazarus did. But what we are told about Lazarus is simply this. He had a name. And you know what the name Lazarus means? The one whom God helped. That's what Lazarus means. Lazarus is there because of God's help. Which means he cried out to the Lord and the Lord answered him. Friends, look. Do you know where repentance begins? it begins with crying out to God for his help. God, I cannot change. I cannot make myself care. I cannot make myself see with my heart. You've got to work on me. And you cry out to the Lord. See, there's going to be great reversals. Repentance is the only cure for calcified hearts. But here's the third thing. And I think really what the punch of the story is. Repentance comes... From hearing the law and the prophets. Now you notice how this story devolves. It's, it's interesting because in the Jewish folk tales. That Jesus, Jesus is probably leveraging here. You would expect in this moment of this exchange. Between the rich man and Lazarus. That when Lazarus is asked to run an errand for him. That Lazarus gives him, give him the business. Right. That's, that's what you do. Say oh now. Now you see me, you know, fry in hell, rich guy, you know, that, that, that's what you expect. But Lazarus, Lazarus says nothing, right? And the rich man says, Abraham, he's not even talking to Lazarus directly. He was like, um, you know, send somebody, send Lazarus to my brothers, tell them, then they will repent if they meet Lazarus Come back from the dead. And this is what Abraham says. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent, right? And this is, this is the punchline. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Moses and the prophets. The scriptures. Do you know what Moses and the prophets do? (laughs) They pierce us, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Our hearts, as Hebrews says. They're unbiased in their critique and they are devastating. And two things they call out again and again and again in God's people are idolatry and injustice. You know what idolatry is? It's our hearts chasing after other lovers. Here it's money. It could be success. It could be achievement. It could be anything. Anything that you make your everything. Other than God. That's idolatry. You know what injustice is? It's always choosing ourselves over others. And idolatry and injustice go together. Moses and the prophets expose us. But they don't do that simply to shame us. They do it to show us our need and then show us Jesus and how he removes our shame. See, this has been at the heart of the debate between Jesus and the Pharisees the whole time is yeah, the law and the prophets, right? All about them. But what you need to understand is they expose you and they lead you to your need of me. The Bible is the word about Jesus. It points to our need for him and then it points us to him. And here's the thing. Jesus actually did die and raised from the dead. And you know what he says to the disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus, confused by all that's happened? He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? Do you hear The law and the prophets. And then a little later to his disciples. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Friends, the scriptures are a story of a beautiful world that God has made and that we broke. You broke, I broke, we broke, all of our crooked hearts breaking it. But it is a story that leads to the gracious forgiveness of God for those who cry out to Him. And when we receive what the law and the prophets offer us, their diagnosis of our idolatry and injustice, and we cry out to God for His forgiveness in Jesus, we become Lazarus, the one whom God helps. This is where it's at. It's not in miracles. It's not in insights. It's not in mountaintop experiences, right? It's the law and the prophets leading us to Jesus. The rich man's begging for Lazarus to to be sent to his five brothers. And he says, then they're going to repent and believe. But Abraham tells the rich man, your brothers won't change. Even if they experience a ghost, they will only change if they wrestle with the story of the scriptures itself. Friends, you and I will never change by an experience, a miracle, supernatural event, right, a fear of hell. You will only be changed in one way and one way only, and that is the story of Scripture, the law and the prophets, showing us our need and leading us to Jesus. And here's what it produces in us a great reversal. A life of repentance. A life of gratitude and then generosity. We begin to become free of the ways that we classify and categorize people and we become liberated to use what we have for the benefit of others. Because we know who we are. We know whose we are. And we're not building our life on anything other than him. Because you were in need and great need. You can become the one whom God helps when you cry out. And that turns you into someone who helps others. I did a funeral yesterday for Carol Wolf. And for those of you who never knew her, I'm so sorry that you missed that privilege. But many of you were recipients of her kindness and generosity and faithful love over the years. And Carol would have been the first to tell you it it was not because she was innately kind or generous or loving. And it wasn't because she was scared of hell and trying to make sure she didn't go there. She would say it was because she herself had been the recipient of God's kindness and generosity and love. She was Lazarus, the one whom God helped. And it made her someone who longed to help others. That's the way it works. That's what the apostle John writes is we love because he first loved us. This is where the law and the prophets lead us is to diagnose our greedy little self-consumed hearts to show us our need and lead us to cry out to Jesus and his salvation. And we become the one whom God helps and we get busy helping others. Let this story go to work on you. So I do the same. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word, uh, for its beauty, for its richness, uh, for its piercing nature. And the way that it exposes us in our idolatry and in our injustice. And in the way that it heals us and erases our shame. Jesus, we thank you uh, that you are the one who rose from the dead. And the scriptures tell your story in its significance. And we need to hear it again and again and again. So Lord, whether it is for the first time today that we find ourselves believing this. Or if it's the billionth time that we find ourselves crying out to you. Lord, hear us. Help us and make us a people who long to help others, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.